0: Butts and Guts, a Cleveland Clinic podcast exploring your digestive and surgical health from end to end. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Butts and Guts. I'm your host, Scott Steele, the chair of colorectal surgery here at the Cleveland Clinic in beautiful Cleveland, Ohio. And very pleased to uh, talk today to Dr. Jesse Gutnick, who is a bariatric surgeon at the Cleveland Clinic Fairview Hospital and also sees weight loss patients at Cleveland Clinic's Richard E. Jacobs Health Center in Avon, Ohio. Jesse, welcome to Butts and Guts. Thanks, and thanks for having me. So it, it's been some time since we've discussed bariatric surgery on butts and guts, and so we're really excited to have you here today and kind of give us a refreshing look and talk about what's new with this procedure. And we'll also talk a little bit in light of some of the changes with the pandemic that are ongoing uh, right now with us. But before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, where did you train, and how did it come to the point that you're here at the Cleveland Clinic?
1: Well, I originally grew up in a town called Mendocino in California. And I trained for my residency here at Cleveland Clinic. I did my fellowship training, bariatric surgery at Duke, and I'm happy to be
0: back here. Well, we are certainly excited to have you here. So let's go high level first. What is bariatric surgery and what are some of the common types of bariatric surgery? So uh, bariatric surgery, or as some people think of it, metabolic
1: surgery, our interventions on the gastrointestinal tract to change how your body handles the nutrition that you take in. Historically, people thought of it as in in one of two ways, either a way to make you eat less or make you not absorb the food that you eat as well. And certainly that's a component of it, but it also changes how your body manages the food from on a hormonal level. And so one thing that some patients often ask me is, how's is this different from liposuction? Isn't this the same thing? And they're actually the opposite things. Um, that would be sort of physically removing some of the adipose tissue underneath the skin. This changes how your body manages what you take in and it changes your health outcomes, whereas the liposuction is really a cosmetic procedure. So for example, if you have diabetes, The diabetes will improve. If it's mild diabetes, it might go away completely. If it's more severe, then you may be able to either maybe go from insulin to pills or decrease the number of
0: pills if you're already on pills, something like that. Jesse, one of the things that I'm going to guess is that you have a combined kind of decision-making with patients. Uh, and maybe other multiple-level providers. So how do you choose what is the right type of procedure for a particular patient?
1: So that's a combination of discussion between the team, the medical team, and the patient. We certainly take the patient's interest into account. So for say, for example, often a patient will have had a family member that did really well with a particular operation, and they're really interested in that operation. But sometimes people have specific medical issues that might push us one way or the other. So for example, I brought up um, diabetes earlier. And so we know that while all of the operations are effective for diabetes, as you go up in the strength of the operations, their effect on diabetes is stronger. So if somebody has pretty severe diabetes, they might be best served by one of the operations that is more powerful for that. Really, that's a, it's a, it takes a lot of things into account.
0: Then that's what the medical visits really for or one of the things that it's really for. So when you're talking about all these different things, uh, two questions, the first one, what is BMI? And second question is how does the BMI potentially affect the type of operation or the kind of potency of that operation, if you will, towards that effect? A BMI is just a ratio of your height to weight
1: and it's a way that has been used to study, obesity and different types of interventions for obesity. And while it's not perfect, say, for example, if you're an extremely muscular person, you might have a high BMI. Overall, it does generally track well with health outcomes over the long term. And so it's one of the things that we look very carefully at uh, when we're evaluating somebody for possible metabolic surgery. And it's something that we track over time. It really, as I kind of earlier said, there's different operations with different potencies. And it's one of the factors that we consider when we're talking with patients. If they have a higher BMI, again, they may be best served for their long-term health by one of the more potent operations. But that's just one of the factors. It's far from the only factor.
0: So we talk a lot about and throw around the term obesity and it carries a certain connotation with it and it's not too positive in many cases, but really what is obesity and what is the criteria for, you know, different levels of obesity? Well, really obesity is the dysregulation of
1: a whole bunch of different systems in the body. You know, in the end, that's sort of manifested as your weight versus your height, which which is your BMI. But I guess I would say that's sort of the end result or the end product. And the whole dynamic of it is something that we're still f- trying to fully understand. So I, I believe that our understanding of obesity at this time is similar to where we were with understanding neurologic disease you know, many, many years ago, heart disease many years ago. It's one of the most uh, dynamic areas of research in, uh, on that side of things. And that's one of the reasons I enjoy it so much because we're learning so much more each day about it. I'm not sure if that answered it well enough, but in the bottom line, essentially, it's, it's, it's defined by a BMI over 35 with significant health conditions or over 40 with or without those. But again, I think that's sort of the, the end result, not necessarily what it means from a mechanism
0: perspective. So one of the questions that comes up is there may be certain criteria that you use that is either a part of or independent of a person's baseline BMI but in general in addition to BMI can you just talk about first what are some of those other criteria that you use to determine if someone's a candidate for surgery and then second of all if they don't meet all of those criteria does that mean you can't get surgery at all so there there's some criteria that were set up at a conference at the National
1: Institutes of Health. And that were those those BMI criteria I just talked about, the 35 with other health issues, or 40, whether you have those or not. And those are the criteria that are sort of set as a baseline for coverage by most insurance companies. And so that's why those numbers become quite important. Now, if you don't necessarily meet those, there's a couple of options. One is, and it may be beneficial to your health, you may be able to have bariatric surgery at a lower BMI if you have other health issues. And there are sort of self-pay options for that. But there's also a lot of medical weight loss uh, approaches that are taken both in our department and in our associated departments like endocrinology here that might focus more on certain medications to target certain issues people might be having with managing their weight. For example, there's some medications that can help with impulse control if that's part of the
0: issue. Truth or meth. Weight loss surgery is primarily geared towards only restricting the amount of intake. False. So
1: I think I mentioned this earlier, that was
0: historically
1: what was thought to be the main way that it worked, but actually we've learned time and time again, that that alone does not work. We know that for a couple of reasons. One is if you just look at the outcomes of diet and exercise alone, when people go on a diet they they eat less calories, their body reacts to that by slowing down their metabolism. That's why it's hard to lose weight. And that's a, a natural mechanism that we've developed over our evolution to combat times of low resources. If you look at restrictive-only operations that are done or were done in the past, the same thing happens. But when you look at the more modern operations, say, for example, a gastric bypass Actually, the metabolic rate goes up after surgery, which means you're burning more calories. So restriction alone is definitely not how these work. There might be a component in the initial weight loss, just like if you eat less for a brief period of time, you might lose weight. But the difference is that with bariatric surgery, most patients have a durable weight loss that lasts over quite a long time, well beyond any kind of restrictive type of procedure or medical intervention. And if you look at some of these historical operations that only restricted what you ate, those patients end
0: up regaining weight over the long term, almost universally. Truth or myth, you can still get a gastric band for weight loss surgery. Uh, You can
1: still get a gastric band. Those still are on the market. We don't perform that operation here because that would be one of those restrictive only operations. And while the rare patient did have really good results with it, most patients, number one, were a little bit disappointed by the results because it wasn't anywhere close to as effective as some of the other operations we perform. And there's also a high rate of reintervention because it is an implant. So we don't do that operation here anymore, but you certainly
0: could seek that out if you were uh, very determined to do so. So Jesse, two of the kind of workhorse operations have been the sleeve and the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass procedure. Can you talk a little bit about the benefits of each and why maybe you would choose one versus the other? So the sleeve gastrectomy and the Roux-en-Y gastric bypass account for approximately
1: 90% of the operations that are performed to help treat obesity. The sleeve gastrectomy is where the stomach is turned from something that's about the size of a purse to a sort of narrower sleeve that's about the size of a banana. As you can imagine, there is some component of restriction because it decreased in size, but that part of the stomach that is removed is metabolically active and changes some of the hormones that your gastrointestinal tract secretes when you take in food. It also changes the rate that your food moves through your system. In general, people lose about, and again, this is very rough, but approximately a quarter of their weight with that operation. And it's the safest and the quickest operation. And it's safe enough that some patients may even be candidates for doing this as a same-day type of surgery. Gastric bypass would be considered the gold standard weight loss operation. And the reason I say that is that we've studied it the longest. It's been around in some form or the other since at least the 1970s with updates and improvements. But we know exceedingly well how patients do over the very long term after that operation, because of the time we've been able to follow up those patients from many years ago. And so it's by far the most predictable. Both of them are done, it's a little bit more powerful than the sleeve gastrectomy, both in terms of the initial weight loss, but also there's a lower rate of weight regain. Both of them are done laparoscopically. In fact, all of our operations are done laparoscopically. Even most sort
0: of revision or redo type operations are usually done laparoscopically. Truth or myth, and you hinted at this a little bit earlier, most people who have had bariatric surgery eventually gain that weight back.
1: So that's the myth. Uh, Some people will. Just like anything else, it's not perfect. No one will stay or almost nobody will stay at the very lowest weight that they achieve. So the typical person and what most people get uh, is they'll have an initial excellent weight loss through the first one or two years. And that will be the lowest weight that they're at. And then most patients go up a very slight amount, and then they level off. And that's their new normal. And the exact rates of weight regain will depend on the research that you see. And and they vary significantly. And probably these variances are probably somewhere in the one in seven patients after sleep gastrectomy have some significant weight regain, and probably somewhere in the range of one in nine patients after gastric bypass have significant weight regain. So that depends on how you look at it. If you look at it the other way, five out of six patients after the sleeve gastrectomy really do not have significant weight regain and have really excellent results for their health. The other interesting thing is that even the patients that have uh, some significant weight regain often have sustained improvements in their metabolic conditions. So let's say you have high blood pressure prior to or diabetes prior to one of these. Often, even if you regain some uh, a significant amount of weight, those
0: secondary health benefits do not return as severely. So, truth or myth? Dieting is as effective as bariatric surgery.
1: That's a myth. Um, I think earlier we talked a little bit about how our metabolic rates can change when we diet and they go down and that's a natural response. You have to imagine if this was uh, 50,000 years ago and we were totally dependent on, I don't know, hunting a woolly mammoth or something like that to get our food, food must've been exceedingly scarce. And so we our bodies naturally in those times of scarcity, turn down our metabolic rates so that we don't lose far too much weight. Now, In modern times where that is nowhere near an issue, that almost becomes our enemy because when you do try to diet and you take in fewer calories, your body turns down your metabolic rate to match what you're taking in. And so that's why losing weight and losing weight in a sustained way is exceedingly hard because even if you are successful, when you're initially going on a diet, your metabolic rate stays turned down even once you've achieved
0: your goal and you start liberalizing what you're eating. Can you talk a little bit about when patients come to see you? I think one of the things that is a little bit fearful for any patient is embarking on a uh, this entire pathway. So what can they expect when they come to see you? Do they just see you? Do they see a, a plethora of people? And how are we keeping patients safe here during COVID-19? When they come to see us, it's a group of four people
1: that they see. It's four different visits. And we each take care of one facet of their care. They see a surgeon like me. Um, They see an obesity medicine specialist, and that's either a physician or a nurse practitioner who comes at things from the medical side. They see a psychologist that specializes in obesity, and they also see registered dietitians uh, that specialize in obesity. Each of us are one component of, of a successful outcome. In terms of keeping people safe during COVID, we're doing a huge number of virtual visits so people can talk to us from the comfort of their home and the safety of their home in terms of COVID. And then when it comes to the time of surgery, as I said, we're starting to pilot even some same-day surgery for some low-risk patients. The other interesting thing to know about COVID and obesity, and this is actually hot off the press, paper written by one of my colleagues here, is that patients who have had bariatric surgery and had successful weight loss from that have significantly lower risk of severe COVID uh, disease compared to patients that were matched to them that did not have bariatric surgery. And so we already knew from earlier work months ago that patients with severe obesity were more at risk for severe COVID infections. But this has sort of taken things the, the step further um, and and shown that bariatric surgery
0: actually has been protective so do patients need to have a referral and kind of what is the recovery from that? I know you said that people go home, but what is the overall recovery today? Is there a special diet they got to stay on for the rest of their lives? I mean, how does all that work?
1: Yeah, let me take that in two parts. You don't need a referral. You certainly can get a referral. Your physician can send you to us. But most patients that we see are self-referred, actually. And they can just visit our website, Cleveland Clinic Weight Loss Surgery. And they can watch an online seminar, which is extremely educational goes through things in much greater detail than we have time for today and sign up and they'll get contacted by one of our navigators within a couple of days to get set up for their appointments. In terms of recovery, most people stay a night in the hospital. Sometimes it's a little bit longer. Some people are candidates for same-day surgery and most of my patients are back to work in two weeks. You are on a special diet after surgery Uh, While you get used to your new anatomy, it's a different way of eating. And so we ramp that up slowly. You start off with liquids and then go to soft foods and eventually you're on to regular food. But that takes place over a course of time.
0: So what's on the horizon as far as innovations in either, you know, metabolic syndrome or bariatric surgery recovery? You mentioned obviously that outpatient surgery, which is fantastic. What else is out there?
1: So like we talked about, some things go by the wayside with time, like the lap band other things have come more to the forefront. There's an operation called the duodenal switch which has not been performed as commonly as these other operations in the past. Partly due to its complexity and and people weren't really applying the minimally invasive techniques that we use for other bariatric operations to it. That's been changing over the past few years and it's becoming much more commonly performed and now we perform it laparoscopically just like any of the other operations now. And that's been an innovation over the the past few years. That's both occurring here and to some degree um, nationwide. In terms of things on the horizon, there are a wide variety of uh, innovative techniques that would would only be considered at this point experimental that aren't being done on, on patients except on a trial basis. So those, I think, are still several years away. But stay
0: tuned. I think it's one of the most dynamic areas of surgery which is one of the reasons that i really enjoy it that's fantastic stuff and like all of our guests we like to get to know you a little bit better with some quick hitters and so what's your favorite food any type of indian food and what's your favorite sport formula one to watch and skiing to play i gotta say that's my first ever formula one reference on butts and guts and so what's the last non-medical book that you've read uh
1: the the last one was this book called clan of the cave bear which is maybe why i'm talking about hunting down uh willing mammoths uh it's not a new book it's from uh, i think the 1980s but um
0: it's it's quite interesting and quite enjoyable and what is something that you enjoy about living here in northeast ohio the people uh i i moved back here after fellowship because of uh, i love living here because of the people and I will throw in a bonus one for you during this course of this pandemic. What is a Netflix or a Hulu or any one of these other series that's a can't miss to our uh, to our listeners out there? I think that all the seasons of Buffy the Vampire Slayer
1: are back on uh, Amazon, and uh, that's a nice little throwback.
0: Uh, great series from the past. I thought we were going to get Queen's Gambit or Peaky Blinders or something. You go Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Fantastic. So, what's a final take home message for our listeners regarding bariatric surgery? I think the most important thing to realize is
1: that bariatric surgery is safe, effective, and it's not a last resort. It's something that should be considered early rather than later because the sooner that you do it, the most time you have to enjoy the health benefits and for those health benefits to allow you to lead a healthier life. It's not the only option, but it's one that should be considered strongly. And even after you come and meet with us, it may not seem right to you, but we can also hook you into other options for treating
0: uh, obesity and its associated health issues if it's not right for you. That's great words of advice. And so the first step in your weight loss surgery journey is participating in our free seminar to learn about the surgical options, our patient navigators, as well as what to expect before, during, and after surgery. So to watch our seminar, please visit clevelandclinic.org slash bariatrics. That's clevelandclinic.org slash B-A-R-I-A-T-R-I-C-S. And to make an appointment with a Bariatric and Metabolic Institute specialist, please call 216-445-2224. That's 216-445-2224. And again, finally, please remember in times like these, it's important for you and your family to continue to receive medical care. Rest assured here at the Cleveland Clinic, we're taking all the necessary precautions to sterilize our facilities, as well as protect our caregivers and patients. Jesse, thanks for joining us on Butts and Guts. Thank you so much for having me. That wraps things up here at Cleveland Clinic. Until next time, thanks for listening to Butts and Guts.